Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Tori said what's up, and everybody's going to say what's up instead of good morning. That's okay. Uh, in my native tongue, uh, ¿cómo estás? Bien. Bien. I'm, my first language is English. See, y'all didn't even know, right? Y'all didn't even know, did you? Yeah. Uh, for those of you guys that don't know me, my name is Josh. Uh, as, as Nick mentioned, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. More specifically, I'm a church planning resident here. So my wife and I are here for the exclusive purpose of planning a church in Southeast Austin, wherever, whatever that direction is. Um, that should encourage you this morning uh, because that means you're a part of a church here, right? Even going as far as to what Nick was mentioning with our giving, that doesn't just say we're passionate about sending missionaries and sending, you know, church planners and stuff, but we're actually putting into action, taking steps to see those missionaries sent and to see those churches planted. So that should encourage you and excite you this morning. It encourages and it excites me. Uh, I'm also encouraged and excited to be continuing our time in Mark today. Look at that segue. I didn't even know we wasn't talking about it. Did you see that? Look, what? We're talking about Mark now? Wow. See? Um, we have been, this is the fourth week in Mark, and, and I want to dive right into the text. Man, I didn't start this timer again. All right. Um, I want to dive right into the text. Before we get started, I actually want to just start us off with a story this morning. How many of you guys know uh, the hymn, Come Thou Fount? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. got some strong affection for Come Thou Fount in this area. Okay. Um, y'all know, you know, Come Thou Fount. You know, that whole thing. Right? Y'all don't, don't make me do it. Like, that's how I got my lady. You want to know why I'm out of my league? Why I'm out of my league? There you go. All right. So anyway, what I'm getting at, fam. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Y'all. Okay. 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 Um, that, that hymn was written by a man named Robert Robertson in 1757. Robert Robertson came to faith uh, in 1755 under the ministry of a man named George Whitfield. If you don't know who George Whitfield is, Google him. He's important. Um, now, two years later, he, he came to faith and in a flurry of faith, he just fell desperately in love with Jesus. Uh, and two years later, he vowed that he would be a Methodist minister. And he also, in that same year, penned the hymn, Come Thou Found. And it swept over the church. People started singing it everywhere. I mean, think about, I just asked a room full of people, hey, do you know the song? And this time, probably 80% of the people were like, raised their hands. And somebody over here was like, oh, yeah. You know, like, there's a deep affection for this song hundreds of years later. And so it would seem to the common eye that Robert Robertson must have been just a, an incredible man. Yet there's a story of his, the latter days of his life, maybe not the end of his life. We don't know what his last day was like or his last moments on earth, but there was a story of the latter days of his life that tells a bit of a different story. Um, it says that in the latter days of his life, he was in a horse carriage, you know, something just pulled by a horse or whatever, that taxi of the day. And a woman uh, whistling, come thou fount, maybe to create conversation and maybe to, to, to be cute, you know, who knows. She said, what do you think of this, this hymn, sir? And he said, ma'am, I'm the poor old man who wrote that hymn. And I would give, if I had them, a thousand worlds if I could feel the feelings I had then. I say that to say this. Statistically, in 20 years... As statistically, about a quarter of the people in this room will no longer be following Jesus. Uh, I, I, I'm not trying to scare you, and I'm not trying to condemn you. What I, I hope that really does is shake you and wake you up to the reality 
that in this Christian belief, in, in our worldview, there are enemies, both internal and external, that desire to work against what the Lord wants to do in your life. And 20 years from now, 20 years from now, if, and I pray not, but if any one of us in this room were to say, you know, I, I've walked away from the faith, it will actually not be because some new scientific discovery was made or some criticism of the Bible has, has come out or, or some suffering or experience. It will singularly be because we have taken our eyes off of the person of Christ, who he is and what he does. And this week in Mark, Mark chapter 4, Jesus knows and understands this reality, and he starts to build on this, this point, this reality. He, he builds it out for us, and, and he begins to show us that being rooted in Christ, being rooted in our faith, even coming to faith, is intimately, intimately, almost a one-to-one, -one, bump that, a one-to-one -one ratio with how much we intimately know the person of Jesus. Okay, so we want to go ahead and dive in right now. Um, if you do not have a Bible, raise your hands. Our usher is going to come out. Uh, they're going to give you one. If you don't have a Bible, take that home, man. That's our gift to you. Uh, in addition, if you do not have, um, if you have, sorry, the Bible app, you can go to uh, your app, go to events, track with some notes there, or you can get this URL in your web browser and it'll take you there as well. I'm going to go ahead and start reading. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1. We're going to go, uh, sorry, dang it. Mark chapter 4. I only say Dan because I did that last time too. Uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 1, and I'm going to go ahead and start. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed fell he sowed some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose it was scorched, and since it had no root it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain, and other seed fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, we're going to stop there. We're going to work kind of chunk by chunk through our text. Um, sorry, I giggled because I called my daughter Chunka, and I said it, and it just, her face was like right in front of my face. Um, we're going to work section by section is a better way for me to say it. Uh, but we're going to stop right here, because from here is the context of everything else we're going to talk about. Um, the scene, the background, right, the backdrop for this actual story of Christ is, should be pretty common to us, actually. Realistically, the setting actually looked a little bit like this, if you're going to be honest. A big crowd of people came to Jesus because he was teaching on the beach. And it got so big that he realized he had to go... He couldn't just like sit and have a conversation with this large group of people. He had to get in a boat, get back out to where he could see everybody a little bit better and project his voice so everyone could hear. And when that happened, a certain parable comes out because Jesus understands something about this big crowd. Now, if, what he understands is maybe not what everyone else understands right now. Because when, when you were from the outside looking in, you're probably looking at the whole situation and going, man, 
Jesus' ministry is doing pretty good, right? Like, he has this huge crowd of people. He can't just, like, sit amongst people and talk anymore. He has to go, like, like almost get into a podium-type position so that he can kind of project his voice. There's so many people getting impacted by what this man is saying. That's what it will look like, right? And even to those outside, like Pharisees and the people that plotted to kill Jesus, this is also what it looked like. They were getting scared. They were getting freaked out. Like, look how many people are going to him. But what Jesus knew in reality was that their presence in that crowd did not equate to their presence in his family. That, those were not a one-to-one correlation there. That, that's not, that wasn't a guarantee. That their presence there in that crowd today did not guarantee that they were a member of his family. Likewise, I mean, man, the well's pretty awesome. Like, if you've been a part of the church for the past, like, I don't know, like three days, you've seen it grow. It's really intense. And, and from the outside, you can really look at what we're doing here and be like, man, that's awesome. But the burden of the shepherd's hearts, whether it's Jesus in this text or whether it's the shepherds of your church here, are that, man, your presence in this house does not equate to you being a member of God's family. And Jesus knew that. He knew that then and he knows it now. And knowing that, Jesus knew, hey, what I need to set as a foundation for you is really, what, why are you here? What are you doing here? So he starts to, to really tell this parable about soils. And what those soils actually are, are, are the condition of the people's hearts that are actually hearing God right then and there. Christ is there speaking, and he knows the soils here that are present in this crowd, some of them are going to be good, but man, realistically, there's actually going to be plenty um, that are not going to be good. And he begins to tell this parable, and it actually has some, some, some weight to it. It has, it has a bit of fear to it. it. It's kind of scary a little bit. If you start reading it, think about what we just read. We, we, we read four different accounts where a sower, where Jesus goes out and spreads his seed, right? He goes out and spreads his word and tries to sow into the lives of people. And out of those four different accounts, only one is even safe. And Jesus wants to create in our mind this sense of insecurity, of vulnerability. You see, he, he starts using this language that communicates like, man, you're not safe. You're not safe in a lot of ways in, in some of these. He says that, man, there, there's a hard ground where, where a bird comes down and, and, and devours the seed that, that the sower tries to sow. There's a shallow ground that when it grows up, the sun scorches the seed. That there's thicket that grows with the seed, and then it chokes the seed. That aggressive language, that, that almost angry and, and almost like, like dangerous language is meant to be used to help us see that, man, our hearts, family, our hearts, both then and now, are vulnerable. Our hearts are vulnerable. They're susceptible. And oftentimes, if we're being honest, they can be weak. And, and that's, that's a bit scary. And, and God, Christ, right, in this moment, Jesus is not doing this because he wants to condemn the people. He's doing it because he wants to warn the people. He, he loves them. He loves you. He loves me. And he desires nothing more in this moment than for everyone in that entire crowd to be drawn to him, to know him, to love him, to just be like, oh, we're here to the dying day. 
But he knows that, man, that, that won't happen. And, and rather than just saying, hey, whatever, he wants to warn the people about what the condition of their heart may be. And so he, he, he digs in here. He digs in. And he starts exploring, man, this isn't just like, not every condition of the heart here is going to be the same. Yes, there's one that's safe, but man, there is a multitude of things that can go wrong to try to prevent what God desires to do. And so jumping down, we, I want to jump down to verse 14 because I want Jesus to really explain what his parables are communicating. And we're not going to skip that text. We're going to jump back into it in a second. But jumping down to 14, when he starts to describe what's going on with these soils, he starts in 14 saying, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. If you remember, the way Jesus described it first is that it lands on hard ground. It lands on hard soil. There is a blatant and honest and, and just, just genuine rejection of whatever this person is saying. And that's probably, that's probably in, in our instance, right, for us to kind of understand contextually what that means. Most often, that is when we say, when we hear Jesus say something that directly contradicts the way we think or the way we live. And then we go, I disagree. In fact, I so strongly disagree, I don't want to hear anything else you have to say, sir. And what the scriptures are telling us is that that attitude is an, is a, is a, is a a strategy of an enemy, of, of an enemy named Satan. And that enemy des desires, that, I know that sounds radical, right? That sounds kind of crazy, some of us in here. But, but this book that we believe is, is God trying to communicate the world and himself to us says that there is something beyond just the, what we touch and feel physically. And in that world, there is an enemy that is actively working against you, working against me to prevent God from doing what God desires to do, that he's actively working to try to corrupt us and to come at us, to put us in danger and steal the joy that God desires to give. And when that hardness sets in, that more than likely for him in that moment is mission accomplished. And as our hardness of heart sets in, he comes in and does what? Devours. He steals. That's the reality of our heart and hearts. It's not just that we would be, okay, I disagree. It's that there is something greater and bigger going on, which is there is an enemy to your heart and soul that desires to steal the joy and life that God desires to give you. That's what's happening there. And so he says, man, th this hardness, this, this hardened soil with the bird and, and eating, man, this is the enemy hardening a heart and stealing the word that I wanted to implant in that person's life. And then the very next one, right, he comes into the next one. That, that's the enemy. In 17, and they have no root. Oh, wait, no, that was my bad. Yep. Uh, 16, uh, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Now, some of us may, feel, may not quite understand what this one is saying. Some of us, some of us believe we do have a grip of what's, talk, what's kind of going on here. In, in my experience, which, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a 70-year-old man talking to you from decades of experience, but even in the short little experience that I have, this text and this position, 90% of the time, the shallowness of someone's faith is because they are following a Jesus of their imagination and not the Jesus of the Scripture. 
this shallow faith kind of says, hey, you know what? I like those couple of things. I'm digging those. I'll take those. I'm not sure about some of those. But you know what? This Jesus, man, he sounds like he can be my friend. In fact, he sounds like he'll give me what I want if I do what he asks. So, man, he actually can be the means by which I gain the things I wanted before him in the first place. So why don't I just do all the things he tells me to do, and I can get all the things that I want to get, and then I'm happy. But what's that, what that creates is a shallow faith that the moment one thing goes wrong, it becomes, where are you? I did what you said I should do. Why am I not getting the thing that I told you I wanted? And then the, the faith begins to crumble the moment pain and discomfort and agony and suffering the moment those things come in, then it becomes, oh, you know what? This isn't for me. This isn't for me. Yet the Christ of the scriptures says, man, I, I have given you all things that you need because, child, beyond the reality that you live in, 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 in this moment where you want a car or a house or a bigger this or a bigger that, there is a reality that goes beyond that that I created and that I instilled in all of my creation where I desired nothing more than to live in perfect harmony with you, my daughter, my son. And your actions, what we would define as sin, the actions that work against the, the, the intent of God in all of creation for goodness and for purity, for, for, for love, for affection, the actions that work against that earn us death, and wrath from God, yet God, as a good judge, decides, I'm going to step into that reality. I'm going to step into this creation. And in fact, the life that you failed to live, I will live for you. And the death that you should have died, I will die for you, so that you, in my resurrection, can exchange your death with my life. And now, I, your king, will give you everything that you need, no matter if you have a bigger, smaller, a, a hoopty, or a Maserati, right? I, I, I really was struggling for what cars to say there. I did not know what to say. Um, regardless, it's communicating that God has worked in your life to bring you the only thing that you need, which is himself. And in that, his, his working is only to bring you to himself. But when we have shallow faith, the act of suffering can sometimes seem like he's left us, and, and then we attempt to leave him. Uh, there's a quote. It's, it's, uh, it's on, the, it's on the, one of the bottom slides, Sarah. It's a quote by John Piper. He's a pastor in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, and he says, if you think your suffering is pointless or that God is not in control or that he is whimsical or cruel, then your suffering will drive you from God instead of driving you from everything but God, as it should. So it is crucial that faith in God's grace includes the faith that he gives grace through suffering. That's the shallowness of our faith in times when we don't guard that part of our heart. And so today, before we move on, I think when it comes to this shallowness, the question I hope we're even asking in this room today is, am I following the Jesus of Scripture or family? Are we following the Jesus of our imaginations? Now, he continues in verse 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
And so the other scenario that Jesus gives is one where the person may receive, yet the world, right? This idea of, of everything that your culture and your society entices you with that tells you what I can give you will please you, will fulfill you and satisfy you more than what God has said he will do. And this is the very lie that's even in the beginning of this book. No matter how you interpret right, Genesis or creation, the, the root of what's going on in that book is that there is an enemy that says, hey, did God really say that, that you shouldn't eat that? I mean, he's actually just scared because he knows if you eat that, you'll get more than he can give you. You'll get to be like him. That temptation is constantly there in, in every culture. No matter how beautiful the culture can be, no matter how awesome the culture can be, whether it's this one, whether it's across the world, whether it's a, a Mexican-American, whether it's a white one or a black one, no matter what it is, it, all cultures have this certain line to them that goes, hey, as good as I can be, I want to tell you that there's certain things I can offer you that he cannot. And that choking takes place when our heart believes it. Yet James, James, the book of James, says that in the midst of suffering, that there's almost a, a temptation, there, there's, there's a purifying, there's a purifying in the midst of temptation and suffering that, that actually purifies our faith. Why? Because when, when we're approached with the temptations and deceitfulness of riches, and we say, hey, I will testify with my actions, both to my heart, to my mind, and to the world, that what God has promised to give me, and what he sustains in me with even in this moment, is better than what you could give me. That type of action, right, that type of action is, is, that, is what the Lord desires to do. But when we fall into a place where the thicket and the thorn chokes what God desires to do, it's because we have believed the lie that what the world, our culture, our society has to offer us is greater than what God can. And that's just a lie. And so we reach the end of these three scenarios, and let's be kind of honest this sucks. This is, this is bad. Like, it's pretty tough. The way God, Christ, the way Christ is, yeah, I say God and Christ. I interchange in bad voice. I'm sorry, y'all, but he's God. All right, so if I could just say that publicly, he's God. All right, so Jesus in this moment slash God, okay, what he desires to do is create that sense of vulnerability for us because he wants us to see that, man, in many instances, unchecked, untamed, uh, lacking inventory, our hearts are vulnerable. Our hearts are, our hearts are vulnerable. And he wants, because he loves us, because he cares for us, he wants us to take really strong inventory of our hearts. God could have just, if you notice, the root of what this is is, hey, you bear fruit or you don't. You take the seed or you don't. You believe it or you don't. But that's not what he did. He didn't sit there and go, hey, some of you are going to get it, some of you aren't. I'm just going to start talking now. He said, hey, look at all these different ways. Look at all these different ways that you can be vulnerable to not receive what I want to do in your life. Take inventory of that. Think about it. Where are you? Where are you? Because I want nothing more than for all of you to know who I am, but I need you to take inventory of your heart and see if you truly are or if you truly aren't. 
So he desires nothing more in this moment to lovingly draw his people and go, hey, hey, please look at your heart. Look at what's going on here and check if you are actually tracking with me and what I'm telling you and believing who I am and walking along me for who I say I am, not who you want me to be, that you actually see my value as opposed to everything else in the world, that you aren't actually hardening your heart and going, hey, I disagree with some of that, so I'm, I'm, I'm out. He wants us to take inventory of our heart, family, and he does it because he's a loving and good father. Because he loves you, because he loves me, because he loves them. I don't know how many of you guys have kids. Um, I have a one-year-old, and man, I, I, I love her so much, and you know, I don't, I'm not going to get goo-goo over here, but um, she started walking probably like 10 months or so. It was a little earlier than we anticipated, especially since it took her like all, like, it took her like her whole life to crawl. And then she was like, I crawled for two hours, and I was like, I think I'm going to walk now. Gosh, darn it. Okay, so... She got up and she started walking, and instantaneously she started getting into a lot of stuff. You know, those of you who have kids know, like, man, they start walking, it's like, oh my, this is way harder. Um, but we're not negligent parents. We had the little plastic things in the sockets, but she started going around to the, to the things that were plugged in the sockets and being like, whack. And then she'd look at the sock, the, the, the plug, right? Look back at the socket. You're like, that one looks like more fun, right? That, the socket looks like more fun to me. So then she'd take the pencil or whatever else was in her hand because she can't just carry one thing. All right, and then she goes and she's kind of like, you know, Let's see, what does this do, right? And that type of thing. As a father, as a father, what would I be, who would I be if I looked at her and went, try it out. <laughs> see what happens. My culture does that, right? But, I'm not, but I should not do that. I, as me, as a follower of Jesus, outside of my culture, I should not do that. What kind of father would I be if I looked at her and just went, do it, see what happens? You know what? No, no, no. No, I, every time I see her do it, and unfortunately, I probably do not catch her as often as she does it, but regardless, every time I see her doing it, I walk over, I grab her, I look at her, and as, as, with as much desperation as I possibly can, I look and try to communicate with this one-year-old brain and go, Leah, don't do that. No. No, and then she looks at me and goes, um, <laughs> don't do that. That can hurt you. That can kill you. And I, your daddy, want nothing more than for you to live and be blessed. That's all I want for you. Trust me, that hurts. That kills. That's dangerous. Family, when we look at Jesus in this text today, the beauty of it is that we can all be assured that we have a heavenly father that looks at us and goes, man, don't do that. I love you. Don't be those. I want nothing more than to give you the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and the affirmation that only I can give you. Don't do those things. It's a loving and heavenly father just with every sense of desperation he can in a moment going, hey, take inventory of your heart, please. Take inventory and make sure that your heart is open to what I'm saying, to what I'm doing. Please. And then he gets to the final one uh, in verse 20. <coughs> and I'm not going to lie, up until this point, I, I was encouraged by, by what I felt like was God's warning. I was also still a bit discouraged by the fact that it, it still sucks, right? <laughs> like that I'm still vulnerable and it still feels scary. 
But it's actually in this verse that there's, that, that in, this verse kind of unlocks an encouraging thread that's kind of through the entire chapter that you can't quite see in English. But this word in this verse right here, what is that word? Yeah. Class participation. All right. That word in verse 20 is actually in the Greek manuscript in a different tense than the other usages of the word here. For each of the other scenarios, hard ground, bird, shallow ground, right, sun, uh, thicket, all that good stuff, or bad stuff, the word here is used in what's called an aorist tense. And what it's trying to communicate is that it happens and it finishes. It happens and it finishes. They hear it and it goes here and then it goes through the other ear. That's it. But this, in verse 20, this word, the tense of it, shifts to a present tense. It shifts to a present tense, meaning this person doesn't just, he hasn't heard the word. He continuously hears the word. She continuously hears the word. And, and what's happening here is, is a bit of a redefinition of this soil that we're so commonly thinking is a one-time thing. No, instead, what's happening here is that Christ is telling you the good soil is not one that just magically is good. The good soil is the one that hears me and depends on what I do to make the seed grow. That's what the good soil is. The good soil is the one that continuously subjects in attitude, mind, emotion, action, thought, under me and says, God, help me. Well, I could go out today and try to prove myself or prove this or prove that, but I need you to reign as a king over me, inform every definition of right or wrong that I could possibly have. And when I am weak and unable, I need you to spur and bring growth to the actual seeds that you planted, not me. That's good soil. It's not perfect soil. It's not even lacking doubt soil. It's not tempted. It's not untempted soil. It's soil that submits its hearts. That's, let's transition to hearts. Hearts that submit themselves to this person of Christ and allowing him to bring out and grow what he has deposited into our hearts. And that is actually what unlocks the rest of this text. The rest of it. If we go back up now to the verses that we skipped at first, uh, starting in verse 10, the, the, the apostles and those that were with the apostles come and say, hey, what's up with this parable? And Christ says, to you, family, to you has been given the secret of God's kingdom. What is the secret? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Though some were going to walk away and be hardened, some were going to walk away and, and, and be tempted, some were going to walk away uh, and have shallow faith, there were certain ones that after hearing what was probably a bit of a hard saying, went back to Jesus and said, God, inform our minds and inform our hearts. We submit our ideas. We submit our responses. We submit our, our, our ideologies, our, our passions, our desires. We submit all those to you. Tell us what to do. And Jesus looks at them and goes, that's it. That's what you do. That's the soil that I'm talking about. Do that. Do that. Submit yourself to me. And in Christian circles, in Christian life, this is called the lordship of Jesus, that he would, in essence, be the king that informs every one of our decisions, every one of our attitudes, every one of our beliefs. 
every one of our desires, that we would submit them and go, man, if I'm wrong, I, I turn away from it and I try to give it to you as best I can. I invite you to change it in my heart. And that's also why in verse 13, responding to them, he says, do you understand this parable? How then will you understand all of the parables? Jesus is saying, hey, in order to understand everything that I say, you first have to understand that I am the authority that says everything, right? Under my authority, anything I say is what you subject yourself to. So this one parable, and what's happening here is Christ is trying to display this beautiful thing that goes, hey, hey, you don't have to, to lack hardness. You don't even have to, to lack temptation. You don't have to lack doubt. You need to depend on me for your faith and not you. That's what you need to do. That's good soil. That's what's going on here. He wants to check us because he loves us, because he wants us to, t- 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 to test to test whether our faith is dependent and rooted in us or if our faith is dependent and rooted in him. Because he's the sower. The scriptures countless times say, hey, he's the one that gives growth. He's the one that does it. Hebrews describes Christ as the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's him. It's about him. It's about what he's doing in our life, what he did in our life, what he did on the cross, what he's doing in eternity, what he does at the end of our lives. It's about his love, his affection, and his care for you, not yours, not mine. If my life was left to my own devices, family, I would not be before you right now. But because God, by his grace, redeemed my life, and as, as literally, as Robertson himself says, interposed his precious love, That's why, that's why, because of him, why I'm here today and not in jail or something. I'll tell you about that another day. <laughs> and so, so the question kind of can be like, what, what, what do we do for that then? How do we set our attention, set our reliance, uh, set our mind, set the eyes of our heart, as scripture can say sometimes, like that's a weird phrase. How do we put whatever that is, how do we put that onto Jesus and take it off of ourselves? Fear not. Right? Christ didn't just say this and leave it out there and go, all right, man, figure it out. The rest of the parables in chapter 4 are literally about that. In the very next parable, in verse 21, regarding a lamp, he starts to tell us how we set our mind on this Christ, how we set our, our reliance on him. 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. What is this saying? Family, you've been given grace beyond measure that was purchased for you through Jesus that you could not afford. Go share that with somebody else. And you ask, how does that create an attention to Christ? Because you go into a moment where you have a coworker, a friend, a person at the grocery store, and a conversation that could be about the most mundane thing, chips, TV, work, whatever, and you say, I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to try with all of my might to shift it to be about Jesus. What more could you do to put your attention on Christ? In a moment when you're talking with somebody that doesn't know him, to to have the conversation of whatever you want it to be about, to take that and go, you know what, but I'm going to intentionally put my mind on Jesus by just inviting this person to my community group. And that is in turn what Christ is saying fuels our faith that that really cultivates that seed in our heart. That's why in the very next portion, he says in 24, pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use what you hear. 
it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. When you take the grace, the faith that the Lord has planted and go, hey, I'm going to use this, he says, good, I'm going to keep giving it to you then. I'm going to keep giving it to you. But, but the, the loving, fatherly warning still persists. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That, that shallow, withering faith that, that even in that moment, instead of declaring my faith and my satisfaction in this Christ is more important and is more fulfilling than the peace I have from lacking the awkwardness when I tell this random person to come to church with me, right? That action, that's withering. But he's like, yo, use it, and man, I'll keep giving back to you. So friends, take every moment and start focusing on Jesus through simply sharing your faith with somebody. That's a great, great way to start. The very next parable, the parable of seed. Uh, of the seed growing. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear, but then the grain is ripe. On, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Family, all Christ is saying there is, man, man, plant the seeds in your own life too. He has, has given you the word, but, but family, plant that seed. What he's saying is that when you absolutely, in the deepest part of your heart, do not want to open your Bible, open your Bible. In the time, in the time of day when you absolutely do not want to pray, man, hit your knees, bow your head, look out of a freaking window, whatever you need to do, and just ask him, Lord, I'm here. And I'm going to be honest, I don't feel like being here, but I'm here, meet me. In the moments when you don't want to be vulnerable with a friend or with a community group, fight in those moments to plant seeds of vulnerability that share just maybe what you're struggling with, maybe even your sin struggles, the doubts that you have, the fears that you have. Plant that seed. And what Christ is saying is that if you take the step of planting that seed and setting your mind and expectation and reliance on me, I will, I, I will magically, miraculously grow it. Because again, it's not about you planting the seed. It's about you doing something in faith that I will return. Man, so, so plant that seed. Plant it. Plant it when you don't want to. Plant it. And God will produce from that seed. God will produce from that effort. And some of you right now are hearing this and you're like, man... But you don't know that I'm like, I'm big time struggling. Right? Like, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. In fact, I'm not a Christian. The last parable, maybe the most beautiful one, verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Hobble, hobble, hobble to plant that seed. Family, if you have to limp to planting seeds of faith in Christ, that's okay. Limp there. Limp there. Limp there with your doubt. Limp there with your sadness. Limp there with your just straight-up disbelief. Limp there. Limp there because the smallest seed that you sow into your life regarding Christ and who he is, Christ, Christ, Jesus will bring forth that and make it bigger than you ever could have imagined. From that smallest, smallest seed, 
from that smallest, smallest effort, he will again produce something in your life that you could have never imagined. Just limp there. Limp there. It's okay. Just limp there. Just limp there. I'm going to close it. I'm done. <laughs> Family, today the Lord is in, in, in this moment, right, Christ challenged us to really take inventory of our heart. And, and he's heralding that message today. Right now, man, he gave us the tools to set our attention on him. He, he gave us the scenarios by which our heart may run from him. But he calls out as a loving father today to you and to me to take inventory of our hearts, to sow seeds of coming to him. Right now, some of us, man, we may be just straight rejecting what I'm saying right now. Just straight rejecting it. Yo, the only thing that I want to encourage you in is, man, take inventory of that. This God, this Jesus has no reason to lie to you. He has no, this is a thousand years later, and he was teaching it for 2,000 years later. He was teaching it not so that he could gain followers then, but so that he could protect followers now. So please, please, if you're just sheerly rejecting it, man, come talk to somebody. Be open about that. We want to hear about it. If you're struggling, man, talk to one of us. But, but more than anything, the thing that I could encourage you today to walk away from, all right, family, in here, set your attention on Christ. Set your attention on him. With me this week, I would love to, to hear the stories of how you took those steps, even if you limped those steps, to setting your eyes, your reliance, your, your affections, your dependence on God. Man, will you do that with me this week? Will some of us that maybe have never gone to a community group this week vow to go to a community group? Will some of us who just don't read our Bible, and even when the Bible app just freaking shoots up and goes, hey, here's one verse for the day that you can read. Don't just swipe it away, but go, all right, I'll read that one verse, right? Like, will you do that with me today? How about this? Will you take a step and plant a seed of faith in your heart that's just publicly saying, I'm going to do that? Will you do that with me right now? When I say, hey, will, will you do that with me today? Will you just take the step in planting the seed of saying, yeah, I will do that? Will you do that with me today? Yes. Praise God. We have an awesome God who desires nothing more than to care for us and to see us filled with the joy, the peace, and the love that he desires to give us. Today we have a beautiful opportunity to have our Father warn and, and, and encourage us to take inventory. I pray that we can receive that with joy and that we can respond uh, just in, in careful consideration of that warning, but with the full faith and hope that comes only through knowing that his goodness is what fuels that moment of checking for us. I love you guys. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much. Thank you that you care. Uh, thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you knew that both then and now, we would have hearts that may go astray or hearts that, that may be resistant towards you, yet you desire nothing more than to, to give joy, to give peace, to give hope. And so you, you call us to take inventory of our hearts, God. Let us do that. Let us do that today. Let us see that you call us not to, to take inventory and to check on how we can do things better, but instead you call us in that inventory to make and return our faith to being about you, not about us. God, today in, in this room, let who you are just spur all of us to, to faithfulness to you. Let it spur us to just desire to know you more, to follow you more, 
to love you more. And as we do that, you assure us that you will root us in yourself and that you will promise to, to securely deliver us in eternity. Fill us with joy through that, God. Fill us with hope and let it be a testimony to your goodness both in our hearts and to the lives of everybody that's around us. We love you. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.